Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. And we actually got to spend time together as a staff at retreat this weekend in Chattanooga, just praying together, dreaming together, and planning together for 2020, and I'm very excited about 2020. And also, as I've, I've been traveling quite a bit, I was in Michigan a few weeks ago, then Israel this past week, and so Toya's been a single mom for the past few weeks. And so if you would, just, it is hard being a single parent, especially with four teenagers. If you would just give her a big round of applause real quick. Because when she's gone, my goal is just to make sure the kids eat and survive. When I'm gone, the kids flourish. So that kind of tells you how things roll in our house. Um, so a lot of good stuff happening. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, and ladies, if you have not signed up for the Ladies Conference, please do so today. It's going to be a great experience for you. Because uh, we're here, we do four things at chapel. Pursue God through our Sunday morning services and seek nights. And then build community through groups, but also men's and women's ministry and it's a great opportunity for you to build some relationships, meet some women that you normally wouldn't meet in this room in an atmosphere of worship and also building those relationships closer to God. So make sure you stop by that booth and answer, get all your questions answered today. Genesis chapter 2, as we start this series, Pastor Dylan started last week, Not Today, Satan. How to protect those things that matter the most to you from the enemy who wants to steal them from you the most. Like every gift God gives us. The enemy has a plan to take it away, like every single gift. There's not a gift that God gives that he does not have a strategy for the enemy to take away from us. If you get filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to try to take that away from you. If you receive gifts in the Spirit, he's going to try to take that away from you. If you receive relationships, he's going to try to take that away from you. If you receive financial blessings, he's going to try to take that away from you. And marriage is one of the first gifts in the Bible mentioned and one of the greatest gifts mentioned in the Bible. And it is the primary attack of the enemy to try to steal that which God meant for the good of the world. For the marriage is the hope of the world. It is the foundation of the church. It is the blessing of multiplication of God's kingdom. It is one of God's greatest gifts to the world. And the enemy cannot stand it. That's why we see attacks against traditional marriage. That's why we see attacks of divorce in marriage. That's why we see attacks of infidelity in marriage. That's why we see attacks of just all these blended families that are going, trying to rebuild something and the enemy keeps trying to pull it apart. And it's not a matter of if your marriage is going to come under attack. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when the enemy is going to rise up against your marriage. It's a matter of how he's going to rise up against your marriage. And it's a matter of how you are going to respond to his attacks. Because he is on the attack. Touch your neighbor and say, he's on attack. And if you don't believe so, you say, well, I'm not married. He's already attacking your future marriage. By allowing you to go through, as a teenager, go through relationships that are going to set a standard for your future relationships with people that are not mature enough to create a good standard. 
Well, I'm not married yet either, but well, no, he's going to attack your future marriage now by allowing you to experience things outside of marriage sexually that will hurt or damage your future marriage. Well, I'm not married. Well, let me put it this way. He's already attacking your marriage by letting you watch too much Lifetime TV and Disney movies thinking marriage is going to be a princess story when marriage is actually a war. Marriage is a war of two people trying to become one in mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And the enemy's desire is to make sure that those two never become one, but they stay two. Because everywhere in the Bible you see unity, there's a blessing of power that flows through that oneness. And so the enemy wants to make sure that the two don't become one because when the two become one, they can fight better than they can by themselves. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about two is better than one. There's a greater reward for their toil, that they can keep each other warm, they can help each other up. Two is better than one, and if our primary relationship is marriage, the enemy is attacking it because he knows if he can divide, he can conquer. And the first attack in the Bible is against marriage. Actually, Satan doesn't even show up in the Bible until marriage comes onto the scene. When Adam was by himself, Satan stayed back. But when Adam became with Eve, now all of a sudden he realized there was a problem. Because if Adam and Eve can be together, he knew they could bring God's dominion from heaven to earth. But if he could divide them, he could maintain his proper authority on earth of being the rebel that disrupted heaven and now is taking over earth. If you would, stand to your feet as we read Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to start somewhere... Let's, let's put it, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree. Everybody say every tree. Every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for it. In the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Two things right there. One, God gave Adam a vision before he gave him a wife. He said, this is your purpose, to work the ground and multiply the kingdom of God in this area or allow Eden to spread into other areas. He gave him a vision. So if you're looking to get married, the first thing you need to ask your future husband is not do you love me, but what is your vision? What is the purpose that I'm going to be fulfilling alongside of you? What is the vision that God has given you for a family, for a marriage? For a ministry? What is the vision that I'm going to be connecting myself to? And number two, all of a sudden, the first commandment in the Bible is thou shalt not. It is thou shalt eat of every tree of the garden. God's first promise is freedom. God says, you're free to do all of this. You're free to eat of all of these things. But of this one tree, don't touch it because you'll lose everything else. And so God is the God of freedom within boundaries. And it continues on, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God looked at all these amazing things, said it's really good. But it's only good if you can share it and experience it with somebody else. So all of a sudden he goes to make Eve. I'm going to skip down to verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. That word there means to be one in a, in a bond or a union that's undivided. It's a bond that's mental, 
emotionally bonded, spiritually bonded, and physically bonded as one. Meaning they're one in their personality, one in their vision, one in their purpose, and one in their spirit. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Everybody say unashamed. Father, we thank you that your promises are so rich and deep and pure. And we thank you that your first promise was freedom and your second promise was relationship. And we thank you for the sanctity of marriage. We thank you that you define marriage for us. And it's our job to define ourselves by what you say about us and about our marriages. And Father, these next couple of moments, I just pray for every mind, every heart, every spirit in this room. That Father, those who are already married, I pray to allow for them to see the nooks and crannies of the attack of the enemy against their marriage and against oneness. Father, for those who are not married, I pray to let them see that the enemy is already on the attack, trying to ruin their mentality, trying to ruin their perception of what marriage should be and what it could be with you. And so, Father, we bless you this morning. We just pray for power, anointing, and clarity in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. One flesh, one mind, one heart, one spirit, one body. God had a plan for man and woman, Adam and Eve, to come together for a single purpose. That purpose was this. Eden at this time was a small plot of land on earth. Just a small plot. We actually have the dimensions of what that plot is. He, he wanted to take this. This was God's abode or God's home on earth. God walked through the garden of Eden. That's where God chose to live on earth. And God created Adam and Eve for one purpose, to take that small plot of land of where God dwelt on earth and to spread it out to conquer the rest of the earth. He wanted husband and wife to come together to be fruitful and multiply and reproduce the kingdom of God all over the world. God's plan is still the same. He brings man and woman together to bond in unity, to multiply the things of heaven on earth. Love, unity, peace, purity, power, discipleship. All these things of the kingdom thrive in a God-ordained marriage. And marriage, when it's working correctly, is one of the most powerful tools in the hand of God. But it's when it's working incorrectly, when the enemy has a stronghold or a foothold in your marriage, it no longer becomes a tool, it can become a weapon. A weapon used to divide, a weapon used to destroy, a weapon used to hurt, a weapon used to inflict pain. It's amazing how the thing that God created to bring as a tool of unity and peace and advancement of his kingdom can actually be used by the enemy to divide and destroy the kingdom of God. It amazes me. When I read scripture, you look, you never see Satan's name in scripture until after Adam and Eve begin walking hand in hand with God in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this way, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So now all of a sudden this, this serpent, this Satan figure now comes onto the scene after Adam had received his bride and after they start doing what God had called them to do. And he says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And also she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he also ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now all of a sudden, after the enemy attacks, Adam and Eve, who had no shame in the relationship at all, they were completely united As soon as the enemy attacks, they now separate themselves and begin to cover themselves. And as they cover themselves, that covering puts friction or distance between Adam and Eve. Now they're ashamed of things they used to not be ashamed of. And nakedness basically means this. Nakedness means that there's no hindrance between you and me. It means there's no hiding between you and me. And now one encounter with the enemy and they begin hiding those things they used to celebrate. The enemy is slick. And that word for serpent in the scripture, I'm going to give you a little bit of Hebrew real quick. That word in Hebrew is nakash. If you don't want to say it, just say nachos. Touch your neighbor say nachos. You'll never eat nachos the same way again. That word in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it had no vowels in it. And there's three conjugations of it. There's a noun, adjective, and verb. They all have three completely different meanings, even though it's the same word, depending on how you use it. As a noun, it means a serpent, which means a a snake or something that crawls on its belly with no legs. But then as as a verb... It is diviner or divination, meaning somebody who looks for special information from another source other than God. That's where we get witchcraft from. That's where we get the crystal ball and tarot cards from. That word means to to gather special information outside of God's information. And then thirdly, as an adjective, it means to to be a, um, I'm going to look at my notes so I don't mess it up. It means to be shiny or attractive. So this word for the serpent means it's something that's crawling across the ground, bringing special information, but in a shiny package. Meaning the enemy sometimes will come to you as a serpent. You'll you'll notice him, you'll see him. He's slick, he's conniving, and he's going to try to squeeze into your marriage. Other times, he's going to come into your marriage through special revelation or through a friend who's going to tell you how life could be better with a different marriage. Sometimes he's going to come as a shiny figure that's attractive or more attractive than what you currently have to try to draw your attention away from the blessings God has already given you to blessings you don't have yet, which is exactly how he got Eve. You can have all this, but this you can't have. The enemy will deceive you into thinking that God is withholding his good from you when he's already given you his best. And so this is how the enemy slides in to your inbox. This is how he slides into your direct messaging. This is how he slides in to your marriage. This is his attack that once you start moving forward, becoming one with one another, he will show up to divide 
and to cause suspicion and to cause separation between that which God has joined together. He seeks to destroy every single marriage. The good news is he has the inability to destroy your marriage. Satan, the enemy, he cannot destroy your marriage or stop your marriage. But what he can do, he can't convince you to give up on it. He can't convince you that it'd be better to stop and start all over again. He can't deceive you into thinking that this is not God's will for you. I'm sorry to tell some of you this. But if you're married and you think you messed up and picked the wrong person, and then maybe it's not God's will for you to be married to that person, that maybe you should try again and maybe find God's will. The moment you said, I do in covenant to God, it became God's will. The moment you said, yes, I do to each other in covenant in front of God, that is now God's will for your life. And you're under deception thinking the enemy has something better for you than what God has already had for you. So how did he do it? Number one, Adam and Eve are together. But all of a sudden, Eve is by herself in the garden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when Satan shows up. So point one is this. Our proximity to our spouse will determine the proximity of the enemy. Listen to this. Our proximity to our spouse, meaning how close I am to my spouse, will determine how close the enemy is to my spouse. If I'm far away, he draws close. If I'm up close, he draws away. Why? He knows he can't conquer the two of you together, but he can conquer you by yourself. And so my proximity, not just physically, even though that is a, a portion of it, my, my proximity spiritually, how close are we together spiritually? How close are we emotionally? How close are we in that vision or purpose that Adam had for us as a marriage? Our proximity to each other will determine the proximity of the enemy. It amazes me. Many times we blame Eve. Eve, how could you have done that? How could you have made that decision? You knew that God said don't eat of that tree. My question to me was, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Then on the other side, Eve, where did you go? It's just both back and forth. Adam, you, you left her go. Eve, you left somebody. The closer we are together, the greater chance we have of success in our marriages. If we're going two separate directions, I promise you the enemy's already near. So trying to find how can we stay close? Because to be naked is to be unable to hide. Meaning to be naked means I'm opening up my heart. My fears, my worries, my dreams, my vision, my life, my past, my present, my future. I'm, I'm letting down all the walls. I'm uncovering myself and living with, with all that I am, the good, the bad, the ugly, the weak, the strength, the, the weaknesses, the gifts. I'm living with it all out in the open because I should be able to trust you enough to accept me the way I am. And I should be able to love you enough to accept you the way that you are as my spouse. And to be naked and unashamed means I can expose myself for all that I am and expect you to accept me and receive me and to cover me in the same way. But the problem happens when we're not open and naked 
and exposing ourselves to each other. And the reason for that is we have spiritual closets. Touch your neighbor and say spiritual closets. A closet is a place we hide things. It's a place that we, we it's a place of privacy. We, we put things in the closet and close them away. Like I went up, upstairs to RJ's room this morning. Usually if I tell him to clean his room, you go look at his closet, his closet is stacked full with everything that used to be on the floors down the closet. Why? It's a place of privacy. If you walk in, you don't see it. For many of us, we have spiritual closets, which are areas that we don't let our spouse in, we don't let God in, that we close off areas of fear, areas of sin, areas of temptation, areas of lust, that we close off We hide in the spiritual closet in our heart, and when we close off God and our spouse, we may close off everybody that we think cares, but we actually let the enemy in. And that spiritual closet will begin to create distance because now I'm not completely exposed. I expect you to be exposed to me, but I'm going to hold this area back because it hurts too bad, because I don't know how to communicate it. Maybe it's unmet expectations. Maybe it's unclear expectations. And it's these areas that I hold off. And when I hold back these areas, it creates distance between me and my spouse, which then creates opportunity for the enemy. As a matter of fact, your spiritual closets, and I believe everyone in this room has them, your spiritual closets will be the location of your next battle with the enemy. I deal with so many people that deal with Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. They have these closets in their life that they're unhappy or unsatisfied in their marriage. So they find satisfaction in social media world. So then they start diving into this world and start developing things in their heart. It becomes a spiritual closet that they hold back and all of a sudden they start having these fights or arguments with their spouses and they're blaming their spouse. Well, you don't trust me. Well, if you trust me, you wouldn't have to check my phone. No, if it wasn't a closet, they wouldn't have to check. If it was out in the open, they wouldn't have to check. And so now what you just created is that secret space or that secret place has just become a battleground in your marriage. The enemy uses every single closet to create separation between husband and wife. That could be fear. Fear that the past may repeat itself again in the future. And you hold on to that fear rather than exposing it. There could be temptations that you're holding on to. You're scared to share because you're scared of losing trust, but you're holding on to it. And anytime you hold on to temptation in the dark, it grows and gets stronger and stronger. It could be unclear expectations that you have for your marriage and you just settle And you settle into a marriage that's not what God designed, but you've settled and now you're frustrated. Now the enemy uses that as a point of battle with you of mental anguish of always looking for an escape route in your marriage. Your spiritual closets are undesigned by God for you. His design for Adam and Eve was for them to be naked and unashamed, not for them to be covered and covering their tracks. And if you want to live a life that's unashamed, it takes building your trust with one another, but also growing and exposing your heart to one another, meaning your religious facade will have to go at some point. Meaning your church clothes may have to come off at some point and get raw with one another, 
get open with somebody else because the only way that spiritual closet is no longer a battleground is for you to clean out the closet. Through repentance, through confession, through, through obedience to God's word and saying, listen, this is what I'm going through. This is what has happened and cleaning out the closet. Well, pastor, like if I did that, my wife would leave me. So you'd rather her love an image of you than to love you? You'd rather her to, ha- you'd rather her to have a false identity in a marriage that's not good rather than being honest and transparent enough to trust the fact that maybe grace covers and love covers a multitude of sins? Like your spiritual closets, once you clean them out, you'll find and experience the greatest freedom you've ever experienced in your life. And you'll find it first and foremost in who God gave you, which is your spouse. So your proximity emotionally, spiritually, and physically to your spouse will determine how close he gets in your marriage. Number two, in marriage, we are both leaders and followers. In marriage, we are both leaders and followers. Touch your neighbor and say, you're a leader. And then touch them and say, you're also a follower. Because this destroyed doctrine of the husband is the leader and the wife is the follower is a bunch of junk. All the women. All the men get up and leave right about now. What that means is people had taken a few scriptures that were meant to, de- to determine or teach mutual submission with one another and taught it in a way that says the woman is subservient to the man. Well, to take that in scripture, Deborah was one of the first judges or leaders of the whole nation of Israel. Jesus empowered women more than any other person on planet Earth until this last century. Jesus lifted up women. He put them in places of authority and leadership. But he also said there's a structure in the home that there's a leading and a following, meaning there's mutual submission. Meaning I don't get to rule over Toya. She doesn't get to rule over me. We rule together. And what's hard about that is naturally everyone finds a role and fulfills that role. But God says, no, we need to work this out together. It makes it more difficult It makes it more complicated, it makes it more frustrating, but it makes the rewards twice as good as one person running over the other. Mutual submission is empowering one another to step into their God-given identity and purpose by outdoing each other and showing love, honor, and accountability. Meaning mutual submission is, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to lift you up, I'm going to empower you for what God has called you to do. But you're also going to do the same thing for me, and we're going to submit our lives one to another. Meaning, I'm going to give you my closets, and you're going to give me your closets. I'm going to have your back, and you're going to have my back. You're going to help me walk out my purpose, and I'm going to help you walk out your purpose. It's equal value, equal voice, equal opportunity, even though it may be different roles. Yes, Eve was made from Adam and for Adam. That is a given. Does anybody believe that? Raise your hand. All two of you. God created Eve out of Adam's rib and for Adam as a helpmate. Some people will take that and they'll say, see, God made Adam. Eve was just an afterthought to serve Adam. No, no, because here's how the chain reaction goes. God made Eve from Adam and for Adam, but every single man after that came from a woman.
And what happens is when you lose sight of that, you begin railroading one another in one form or another. There's an old proverb, I'm going to read it to you. It says, if I can find it. Women were created from the rib of Adam or from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. I mean, that's God's intention. That God could have created Eve out of any part of Adam's body, but he decided the rib because that's the closest to his heart, but also made them neutral. And what happens, what I'm seeing is we've had overcompensation of this in our culture. We're now younger men and women that are married. Now it's the women just say, whatever he wants to do, I'll do. They're, they're so submitted that it's detrimental to the marriage. And what that means is if I'm following behind somebody blindly and they get off track, we both get off track. If I'm following you blindly, as if I'm the woman and you're my husband, and I'm following you blindly and you take a left turn away from the purpose or vision from our marriage, then all of a sudden we're all off track and now we're hindered. But if we're walking hand in hand, side by side, mutually submitted, and I'm trying to go the wrong direction, we won't go the wrong direction, we'll just stay here and fight it out for a long period of time. So it doesn't cost you space, it only costs you time. It it may be a slower route, but I promise you, you'll get to the route. And mutual, being mutually submitted is difficult, but here's what it is. I trust you enough to help me lead, and hopefully you trust me enough to help you lead. And if we trust each other enough, we'll end up where God wants us to be because none of us can hear God clearly by ourselves. There's no one in this room that can hear God clearly enough to say, thus saith the Lord. All of us need to filter that through another person. All of us need to filter that through God's word. All of us need accountability in that. And when you're mutually submitted, it brings accountability to you so that you can walk it out together. Now, there may be different roles. Like in this story with Adam and Eve, there's a major shifting that happens. So I believe that we're supposed to be mutually submitted, but also believe the man is given responsibility to lead the family. I also believe women are given the responsibility to help support that vision and mission. But I believe women and men both get purposes and visions from God. I have three daughters. I believe every single one of them has a purpose and vision from God. Toya has a purpose and vision from God. And I have a purpose and vision for God. And when we get married, if they're both true to what God has called us to do, God will blend the two together in whatever we're doing. If they separate us or pull us apart, then maybe one of them needs to be reevaluated or realigned. And in this story, what happens is, my problem is Adam was designed to lead Eve, but he's not with her. He was one given the command. He was supposed to relay the command to Eve, but he hadn't shared the revelation he had from God with her. Two, he'd been given authority over every single thing in the garden. Everything, the serpent, the trees, the fruit, the birds, the fish. And if Adam would have been present, he could have used his authority to stomp on the head of the serpent at any given time. Eve had not been given that authority. She didn't have the ability or the power to step on the head of the stake. He had, but he wasn't present. So he was given authority, but he wasn't using it. 
Now Eve had not been given authority and she was trying to use it. She was making the decision, a major life-altering decision and didn't think to consult with her husband before saying yes or no. And in return, what happens is the whole family becomes separated from God and from each other with one bad decision that both were at fault for. Adam, where were you at? What were you doing? Why were you not leading? Eve, why were you running ahead of Adam? And there's this back and forth that's happening that somehow didn't happen to catch up. And men, this is where, this is where it settles in. Men, how dare you, like Adam, try to take authority over your family without taking responsibility for your family? And I'm speaking to myself, I'm speaking to every man in the room. We're so good at taking authority, but not very good with taking responsibility. On the other side of that, I believe that authority is like a river, that the man is the source of life and love into the woman. And I believe it's my job, and God help me, to flood life and love into Toya and into the kids. But the other side of that is, many women, I'm around these men who are dying to pour love and let a river flow into their spouse. But the woman has built up walls and has dammed it up where the water can't get in anymore. And he's trying, he's trying to be the leader. He's trying to pour into it. But the woman has built up so many walls because she wants to be the leader instead of the husband. We're called to both lead and to follow. What that means, Toy and I learned this years ago in, in marriage counseling, is that what that means, we come to a major decision. I have 49% stock. She has 49% stock. So when we're trying to figure out a, a major life decision, directional vision, purpose for our family, she has just as much say as I do. But when it comes to a place we just can't agree, we can't figure it out, that other 2% is reserved for me only after prayer, fasting, Bible reading and counsel. I Meaning we're gonna get somebody else's point of view or perspective in this because we're both seeing it completely different. I'm gonna pray, she's gonna pray, we're gonna ask somebody else's advice. So here's what I would uh, encourage you to do. If you can't come to agreement, you need to pray and let God decide for you. You need to pray and let God decide for you. If not, if not, the enemy will. If not, the enemy will. If you don't let God decide when you're, when you're apart from each other in a decision, the enemy will sneak right in there and he'll decide for both of you. As a matter of fact, men, if you don't lead your spouse, the enemy will. He led Eve into the decision because Adam wasn't leading where he was supposed to be leading. Point number three, you'll never become one by trying to move closer to each other. That, this is what happens in marriage conferences, retreats, marriage counseling. We're so busy trying to come together and, and learn our personality types and learn our love languages. And we're trying to understand each other and get closer to each other, which are all good things. But that's not how you become one spiritually. That's how you, you understand each other a little bit better. You become one spiritually by moving closer to God, not each other. And when you move closer to God, you start opening up your life to God and you say, you know what? I can't change my spouse, but I can change me. I can't make her go with me, but if I move closer, and it's like this triangle. 
Husband on one bottom, woman on the other bottom, and God's at top. If you both move closer to God, the natural default is unity. But if you try to move closer to each other, you'll never reach God because you'll start worshiping your spouse instead of God. And so if you want to become one, like it says, one flesh, one body, one mental capacity, one spiritually, one emotionally, then you have to learn to move closer to God instead of trying to get closer to each other. What that means is your purpose in life is not to make a bunch of money. Your purpose in life is not just to raise a great family. Your purpose in life is to grow as close to God as you possibly can and let that flow into every other relationship in your life. And believe me when I say this, the enemy's going to do everything in his power to prevent that from happening. Everything. Everything. Because there's two trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said you can eat of anything in this garden, even the tree of life. But just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the one thing Eve does is eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as she does this, a few things happen. One, now they're both ashamed, and they both start victimizing themselves, and they start seeing the faults in each other. And the reason for that, they had no clue what evil was until this moment. And when this moment opened, it says their eyes were open. Now they started seeing the good and the evil in each other. Now they started seeing what they liked about each other, what they hated about each other, what they loved about each other, what they despised about each other, all because her eyes were open to good and evil. And listen to me, you can build your marriage around the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's only two trees to build your life and your marriage around. And I can tell you, if you're looking at your spouse, finding everything you don't like about them, it's because you're living at the wrong tree. At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is where we start placing blame. Adam says, it wasn't my fault, it was Eve's fault. They were just uncovered and unashamed. Now all of a sudden, he won't even cover her. God says, Eve, what have you done? She starts casting blame. All of a sudden, their marriage is not one. Now it's a battle. No longer are they fighting to become one. Now they're fighting for blame. And they start casting blame on one another, casting the cause and frustration. And now they're scared. Now they're casting it on each other. And what happens is when you live at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your marriage will not be a blessing. It'll be a curse. And you'll start battling and fighting because what you're fighting for is your side of the tree. You're fighting to make sure you're on the good side and your spouse is on the evil side. But the tree of life, the tree of life is where hope, love, peace, all these amazing things reign. Because the tree of life is the presence and spirit of God. It's where God dwells. That's why he told Adam and Eve, I don't want you eating from this tree. I want you staying at this tree. Because if you eat of this tree, when you understand my love, you'll be able to share love with each other. If you understand who I am, you'll understand who you are. And everything flows from the top down. But if you're at this tree... You're going to victimize yourself. When you victimize yourself, you're going to notice other people's sins, but overlook your own. Adam cast it on Eve, losing sight that he should have been there. Casting it on Eve, even though he should have taken authority over the serpent. Eve's going to cast it on Adam, even though she should have stayed close rather than running ahead. And what happens when you worship at the tree of good and evil, 
you will live a judgment-based life in marriage. But if you live at the tree of life, you will live through grace, through covering. As soon as they go back to the tree of life, God covers them in their weaknesses. God covers them in their sin. God covers them in their brokenness. God covers them in their frustration. And they had to come together at the tree of life. Listen to me when I say this, and I'm about to close. Listen to me. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. But when you're standing at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will look like your enemy. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is Satan. Your enemy is not, or your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is your ally. That you cannot defeat the enemy by yourself. You need each other to conquer what the enemy is bringing against you and your family. You have to change your mindset that the enemy is not in your home. They may be influencing your home. They may be working on your spouse, but the enemy is not in your home. Your allies are in your home. You need each other. You need to have each other's back. You need to cover each other. You need to look for the good in each other and quit casting blame and come to the tree of life and let life flow back through you. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. I don't know how long Adam had even been married, but as soon as they were married, the Bible tells us the enemy snuck in as a shiny divination snake. All for the purpose to make sure they couldn't become one so they couldn't fulfill what God had called them to do. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a quick moment. I have two questions, or one question, then a response. First question is this. If you're in this room today, you say, you know what? I'm going through some things, and I've never actually turned to Jesus. I've been trying to go through things on my own. I feel like the enemy just keeps sneaking into my life, keeps sliding into my life and my relationships, and he keeps winning over and over and over again. And I realize that I can't do this on my own. I need to give my life to Jesus. Jesus is knocking on my heart and telling me today's the day. Today's the day for a new beginning. Today's the day for a fresh start. Today's the day for a new life. And that's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart. And all it takes for you to say yes to Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to begin following him wherever he may take you. That's you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Just for a moment. You say, you know what, that's me. The Holy Spirit's knocking on my heart today. And I just want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hand down. I'm going to pray. When I pray, I just want you to pray along with me. If you're sitting in the congregation, I just want you to pray and intercede for those that raise their hands. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are a tree of life. That, Father, we eat of the fruit of your tree. It's eternal life. It's peace. It's joy. It's hope. It's love. And it's eternity with you. And so, Father, for those that raise their hands, pray right now that you allow for conviction to set in. That they've turned against you. They've turned away from you. But let grace settle within the heart. That, Father, you've pursued them. You've chosen them. And you've drawn them to yourself. Father, let them wash away all their sins in your blood. Let them be resurrected into a new life, a new identity, and a new purpose in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, stand to your feet all over the room. 
and we're going to end a little bit differently today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to, I'm going to encourage you. We're going to go into one more song of worship. And this is the point of the song. To worship at the tree of life. To take your attention off of all the stuff around you. Take your focus off what's good and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, and to focus on the tree of life who has a, a love that can cover a multitude of sins. That as we worship as spouses together and lean towards God together, the natural default is unity. As we follow God's spirit together, his purpose together, his mission together. And so I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to ask you, husbands and wives and anybody else who wants to come down, to come down front, hold hands, and worship for this one last song, and let your minds shift from trying to make it better here to make it better here. That if there's something I need to repent of, I'm going to make it right here so I can make it right here. If there's something I need to change, I'm going to make it right here so I can make it right here. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the blessing that you are. Thank you for every marriage in this room. Father, we rebuke the enemy right now in Jesus' name. From every marriage, every relationship, every young person, that, Father, we know he's trying to create havoc in future marriages and in current marriages. Right now, we rebuke him. Father, help us to know our proximity to one another, being one with one another. Father, let us clean out spiritual closets. Father, let us come together where you are instead of trying to drag each other to where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.